and welcome to Teach Me Something, the podcast where I answer my own questions, basically, mm-hmm. and then whatever cool stuff I find, then I teach it to you. That's right. I'm Melissa. And uh, I'm Everett. So, part two. Yes. Um, of our mosquito series. Part one last time, we just talked about lots of things yeah. about mosquitoes. It was a... Uh, a grab bag of mosquito topics. Uh, it was super cool. And then here I was telling you how there was going to be a part two, which was going to cover all the viral and parasitic-based uh, illnesses mosquitoes could give you. And I implied that there would only be a well, part one and part two. I was going to say, at least the first part of that statement where you said that there was going to be a part two, that's accurate. Well, the thing is, I am not... Apparently, a person who can possibly do anything briefly. Mm. Because what is even the point if I have to cut out all the things I think are cool? That's true. Um, what is even the point of this hobby? So, um, in the end, I've decided that there will have to be three parts. Bonus part, coming up later. So, this part is all about just the viruses, because that's all I could fit in. Uh, it's all I could fit in. Sure. As you'll see, it'll be long enough as it is. Okay. And, I trust you. Uh, you know, next time, next episode, in a few weeks, we'll get all the parasitic illnesses in. Because, I mean, like, let's face it, that includes malaria. And mm. it's, like, the biggest one. It's, you know, it's a big topic. Yeah. It'll probably take up half an episode by itself. So how was I supposed to smush it in with the many, 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 many viruses mosquitoes can give you, right? Uh, how? Not how? possible. Not, yeah. Okay, well, on that note, how about you teach me something? All right. So, just to start off in a general note here, all these viruses are classified as arboviruses. Uh, Okay, you're going to explain that, I'm sure. And arboviruses aren't like a taxonomic group. They're not grouped together because of their relatedness. Okay. They're just classified together like in literature and research and medicine because they are viruses transmitted by vectors um okay like mosquitoes ticks other arthropods you know yeah um so these are all arboviruses but not necessarily closely related to each other or at all i mean they do end up being closely related to each other but that's not arbovirus is not a category of relatedness okay got it just to let you know they're all arboviruses because of how they're spread Yes, and then I will talk about genetically what each virus is when we get to it. Okay, let's do that. Okay, so I wanted to talk about yellow fever to start in. I, I think it might be one of I the more interesting ones. I think everybody wants to. Yeah. So I thought, you know, it's got to be like the first or the last. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how that works, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I think they get less cool from yellow fever, but... Well, then we'll, let's start with a panache. Is we'll, that start, right, we'll start right with word? a bang and go out with a whimper. Okay, great. <laughs> Um, so I'm pretty sure all these viruses are RNA viruses, but yellow, yellow fever's virus is an RNA virus. Okay. Um, as opposed to a DNA virus. It, it, it uses makes sense. RNA viruses. There's some that do DNA, some that do RNA. 
Right. Just in case you didn't know that. So specifically, the yellow fever virus is in the flavivirus genus, mm. which you're going to see mo- many, I don't want to say most because I forgot to count, half-ish are flav- flavoviruses. So a significant um, number of them. Yeah, like Zika, Dengue, Japanese encephalitis, West Nile, they're like Those are all yeah. flavoviruses. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's spread by mosquitoes that like to bite during the day. So are many of these viruses. And you might ask why I would even say that. Um, it's important to know these things for combating disease and preventing getting sure. bitten. Because, unfortunately, the mosquitoes that like to bite during the day are harder to prevent with uh, good old bed nets. I was going to say screens of some sort, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. A lot of the places where these diseases are endemic don't have screened up windows and doors covering all their houses, you know. Or personal transportation screens. <laughs> yeah. So specifically, the mosquitoes that spread yellow fever virus um, belong to the Aedes and Hamagogus genera of mosquitoes. Um, so as of 2023... There are 34 countries in Africa and 13 countries in Central and South America that are um, endemic for yellow fever. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, um, estimates approximately 200,000 yellow fever cases occur annually. And that results in about 30,000 deaths a year. Oh, Um, so like you said 200,000 a year and 15 cases. So it has like 30,000. So that's about a 15%. Mortality rate. Right. Um, but we're thinking under-reporting is a concern. Okay. Um, the WHO estimates the true number of cases is probably 10 to 250 times what's now being reported. Hmm. Um, so because most people who get it, the virus, aren't going to know. Sure. It's large. There's a lot of asymptomatic cases. Or, like, you get a little sick. And, and you no stay one home for a couple what, days. Or yeah, what it down. was, right? Um. So some people are going to get, you know, fever, chills, headaches, back pain, body ache, nausea, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, muscle weakness. Just like most of these viruses I've been talking about give you those symptoms. They're a little bit flu-like. Yeah. You know, you probably didn't even go to a doctor. You don't get tested for anything. So who knows what you had, right? Yep. Um, it usually lasts for, you know, like a week and then they get better. But about one in seven of those people who get sick, they're going to seem to be getting better for a day or two, and then they're going to take a big major turn for the worse. Um, and the fever's going to come back, then that's when the liver starts to be affected, and that's where the yellow and yellow fever comes in because sure. you get jaundiced. Yeah. Um, you know, your organs start to fail because the liver is involved, your blood clotting ability is damaged, so you're hemorrhaging internally. Um, and then you bleed all over through all the orifices that you can bleed from and things aren't good. And half of those people who get that severe illness die. Yeah. So, um, so if, if it was one in seven, get those kinds of symptoms and we're down to like one in 14 as kind of like mortality, rate. Well, yeah, but, but a large number of pieces are also asymptomatic. So the rates are, the rates are. Right. But, you know, it's severe, right? It's serious. So because it's so deadly, the WHO considers just one confirmed case of yellow fever in an unvaccinated population to be an outbreak. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So there's no, like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to say this for literally every virus, but there's no antiviral drugs to treat it. Like, 
there's just not a lot of drugs to treat a lot of viruses out there, right? Okay. Like, we don't have drugs for viruses. What we do is, you know, get someone to a hospital or clinic and treat their symptoms and, like, support Sure, support make sure they're care. hydrated and that they're... Do your Fever best to keep their relief, organs. Pain relief, yeah. you know, that type of thing, yeah. Um, so, since you can't treat it, best to prevent it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you can use, you know, the vector control strategy or the vaccination strategy with all of these diseases. I'm not really going to harp on vector control because we kind of talked about this last time. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, larvicide to water sources is actually a good idea. Cover yourself up. Use insecticide. That type of thing. Um, so vaccination in this case, in yellow fever, is the most important tool um, in prevention. Because we actually do have a vaccine. We've had a vaccine since 1938. Oh, great. And it's so effective that a single dose is going to give lifelong protection. You don't ever need a booster. Okay. Um, since the yellow fever vaccination began in the 1930s, um, there's only been 12 cases ever of yellow fever uh, infection post-vaccination. Oh. Well, uh, okay. Okay. Like, of people who have been vaccinated, only 12... That have ever okay. been reported to, to get yellow not, fever. Not, not globally, there's only been 12 yellow... F- I was trying to Sorry, mix the... Was uh, being confusing? Just to me. Okay, well, who knows? Who knows? I'm glad you asked. I probably confused other people if I confused you. Um, and that's, like, over 600 million doses. Yeah. So, that's a really, really good uh, success rate. Um, so... There's been a very concerted effort by the WHO and, you know, local partners in these areas. And it's expected that by the end of 2026, there's going to be almost 1 billion people vaccinated for yellow fever. So that is really cool. Um, So I thought I'd tell the story about how they figured out mosquitoes were the vector of yellow fever transmission. Let's do that. uh, Because I think it's cool. So there was this yellow fever epidemic that devastated the Mississippi Valley um, in the United States. And so the United States National Health Board Yellow Fever Commission traveled to Cuba to investigate yellow fever because it was, you know, it's really bad in Cuba and they knew they could study it there. Um, So after several months studying it there in Cuba and studying it in South America, the commission concluded yellow fever is an epidemic, transmissible disease, and the agent capable of transmitting the disease must be in the air. Not not great. So this is like the 1860s. Oh, wow. Little ways back, right. yeah. Okay. So one of the doctors who worked with this commission was named Dr. Carlos Finley, and he was not convinced by their conclusions. So he kept researching on his own, and by 1881, he had kind of fixed on mosquitoes being the cause. But, you know, they dismissed him, and, you know, he sure. was clearly wrong, yada, yada, yada. So then, the Spanish-American War happens, 1898, and... The U.S. lost far more troops to yellow fever than in the war. Well, in the battles. Sure, sure yeah. Um, so then another, you know, National Health Board Commission, whatever, comes to Cuba in 1900 to continue studying the disease. Dr. Walter Reed, who you may have heard of. There's a... If you were... Maybe if you live in the United States, you may have heard of him because there's the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Beth Sita. Okay. It's like the biggest army, like veterans hospital. Only... It's like the biggest army related hospital in the United States, maybe in in the world. Wow. Okay. Anyways, Walter Reed is very famous. Okay. The only doctor Reed I'm aware of is Elliot. Oh. 
Well, he like Doogie Hazard it and got his medical degree as a teenager, and he was a genius. Oh wow! Okay. He was a really cool guy. Anyways, so he was um, heading up the Yellow Fever board this time, and him and the board went to visit Doctor Finley and listened to his theory of mosquito transmission. And they're like, I don't know what else it could be. Let's try your idea. And Dr. Reed believed the only way to do it is, uh, he says, quote, personally, I feel that the only um, experimentation on human beings can serve to clear the field for further effective work. So, you know, they're just going to jump right in and start with the the human trials. Um, So they loaded up mosquitoes with yellow fever virus, they hope, by letting mosquitoes loose in in a hospital in Havana. That was full of yellow fever patients. Ethical. Okay. Um, then they let the mosquitoes bite volunteers. Um, and some of the volunteers included like the doctors running the trials. Okay. So um, the mosquitoes fed on volunteers nine times between August 11th and August 25th, and no one caught yellow fever. Oh. So some of the doubtful doctors were like, <laughs> Definitely not. This is wrong. I yeah. knew it was wrong. You're all wrong. I'm right, kind of attitudes. Um, but the two people who they had, well, had bitten, they they had them bitten on August 27th. Well, they both got yellow fever. One of them was one of the head doctors running the trial. The other was a, a U.S. Army private. So it turns out the important factor there was that the mosquito that had bitten those two men had fed on yellow fever patients at least 12 days before. So the virus needed that amount of time. I see. To replicate to the highly virulent levels inside the mosquito before that it was going to transmit it. And all the viruses have a certain time. You know, right, that, that they ramp need. up time. Yes. Um, it's diff- different for each virus, obviously. Sure. But so that's when they kind of figured that part out like, oh, there must be a time it needs. Um, so fortunately, both those men recovered. But one of the other doctors running the trial was like, no, nah, I'm still not convinced. I'm going to let it bite me now. That's, this isn't it. So, you know, Dr. Lazier exposed himself to an infected mosquito, and he dies from yellow fever September 25th, 1900. Hmm. Um, so, Dr. Walter Reed runs one more set of experiments back in the United States in November to convince the surprising number of people who still doubt mosquitoes are the I transmission mean, method. I get it, but yeah, okay. Um, and then, you know, they decided it was concretely proven after that set of trials. Okay. And I might uh, might ask, like, why would people volunteer for an experiment like this? Money. Um, that is that is a factor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought I would include that because it actually tells you how much they paid them. Anyways, let's start with the fact that a lot of the people were in the military and they were calling on their sense of duty and responsibility yeah. to their country. And then there's also the fact that the soldiers knew they were probably going to get yellow fever anyways, no matter what they did. Sure. So it's kind of better to get it in the army hospital yeah, with all these controlled... people trying to help you yeah. than it is to get it out in the field, right? So that was one factor. And then and then money. But most of the people that they paid, well, just, they didn't pay the, like, soldiers at first for doing this at all. No. So I wouldn't say most people. The people that they paid were locals, like local Cubans. Yeah. Um... And they offered $100 in gold to those who participated. And um, like a bonus, if you will, if they got sick. Okay. Another $100 in gold if they got sick. So $100 US in 1900 is over $3,600 US today, which for the Canadians listening is over $4,700 Canadian. And if you got sick, you doubled it. 
Right. Yeah. So. Wow, you're talking about almost ten thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. So you can see why they volunteered. But in total, twenty nine people got sick and five of them died during these trials. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more interesting yellow fever story, though. The time it almost wiped out Philadelphia. Hmm. Um, or should I say one of the times? Because honestly, Philadelphia had a rough time of yellow fever. But, um, so nowadays you don't really see yellow fever in the United States. No. Back in the 1700s, it was very frequent. Um, lots of people were coming to the United States from all over. Yep. Bringing all sorts of illnesses. Bringing mosquitoes. There were mosquitoes there already, of course. Um, no one knew how dangerous pools of stagnant water were. No. As well. Um, and near Philadelphia, there were lots of marshy, swampy areas. That would do it. So the beginning of this particular epidemic has been supposedly traced to a specific ship that came from the French Caribbean colony of Saint Domingue. Domingue? I don't know how you say it. Anyways, it's Haiti now. That's what Haiti used to be called. Um, but it was a long time ago, and this evidence doesn't seem exactly 100% ironclad, so I'm not going to sit here and blame Haiti. It, you know, there's tons of ships docking in Philadelphia. Yeah. And they're from Africa, the Caribbean, all of those places had yellow fever outbreaks all the time. So, you know, really could have been any of them. Um, but this was in August 1793. It had been a very dry summer, meaning the water table was really low. So there were shallow pools of water all around. Um, all of a sudden, people started developing fevers and the telltale symptom, which was, you know, the black vomiting. Oh, well, I didn't realize that, that was part of it. Black well, vomiting, I assume it's blood in the... Stomach? Vomit. Yes, yes, yeah. because it's a hemorrhagic fever, yes. Yeah, this makes sense. Okay. Bleeding internally leads to black vomiting, basically. Yeah. Um, so people start dying, and they call in Dr. Benjamin Rush. Have you heard of him? I don't... I'm maybe. I don't think so. Okay. He was one of the founding fathers. Sure. He was one of the signatories of the Declaration of Independence, and he is known as the father of American psychiatry. Okay. Um... He is a fascinating character as well. Uh, he had, like, tons of good ideas and some super odd ideas also. Sure. Yeah. yeah, okay. So he is very interesting if you are interested. He announces to the public a yellow flavor epidemic has indeed struck Philadelphia, and they're terrified. So at the time, Philly has a population around 50,000 people. Throughout the course of this particular outbreak, about 20,000 of them fled the city. Okay. And you also have to remember that in 1793, Philadelphia is the capital of the United States. Yeah. So between the people dying and the people fleeing, well, you don't have a government anymore. <laughs> no. Did they just change capitals at The that capital point? had to be moved at this time to Germantown, Pennsylvania. Okay. Unofficially, of course. So hospitals in Philadelphia are overwhelmed with the sick and dying people. Doctors and nurses started leaving because they just felt this whole thing was futile. Mm. Um, Benjamin Rush stayed, even though he had no real uh, idea what to do. You know, it was 1793. And the number one thing Benjamin Rush liked to do was bleed people. Mm. Which is great when you're bleeding internally. So, you know, he bled people lots and... He thought things that would make you poop might be a good idea. So he gave people lots of mercury-based things, uh, diarrheal agents. Mm -hmm. um, doctors, including Dr. Rush, still thought the miasma theory of disease 
like you would get sick from just bad air yeah. was, which I mean, is awful lot like, like back, you know, germs in the yeah. air, but that's, but this is wrong. Anyways. So they were like, smoking tobacco is good. Clean your houses with vinegar. Clean people with vinegar. Carry a tarred rope. I don't know why. Cover the floors of your room with two inches of dirt. Replace that two inches of dirt every day. Uh, two inches? Yes. Holy cow. Hang a bag of camphor around your neck. Chew some garlic. I don't know. These are all the things that they recommended. None of them obviously would do anything, but they didn't know that. They thought, you know, again, the bad air thing. So, like, explosions. Yeah. They should just set off explosions in the streets would be a good idea. That's popular treatment. Set off guns and gunpowder in the streets, you know. just to mask the smell. Clear the air. Yeah. Change the air. Cure the air? Okay. I don't know. Sure. Shoot the air. It's all bad, but... Um, adding to this list of wrong ideas Benjamin Rush had, he thought white people were more susceptible to yellow fever than black people, and the black people were all just, like, kind of strangely immune. Oh. Um, like, I don't but know. Didn't, didn't they notice black people dying from it? I guess not. So, he begged the freed slaves to come help take care of the sick people and bury the dead people, and uh, they did. They really did. And they died. Hmm. Shocking. Yeah. So, this one I thought was interesting. There's a hospital at Bush Hill that had already be con- uh, been converted into a lazaretto. So, a quarantine hospital. Yeah. And there they administered what was called the French treatment. Which was that you got a lot of wine and lemonade and things were very clean. Oh. It was actually so popular that after a while people had to start proving that they had yellow fever. Because people just kept trying to get in because they wanted the lot of wine and lemonade and yeah. cleanliness. Totally. Yeah. Um, so really only ended because fall and winter start, temperatures start killing the mosquitoes. Yeah. Um, at the high point, the death toll was about 100 people a day. Overall, 5,000 people died. So 10% of the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, half the city left or died. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I mean. I almost took out Philadelphia. But another fun fact is the capital had to be moved from Philadelphia again in 1799 due to another yellow fever outbreak. And that time they went to Trenton, New Jersey. The president at the time was John Quincy Adams. And he had first refused to go there due to, quote, disagreeable accommodations. So he tried to just govern by correspondence until they're like, you have to come here. Sure. He didn't want to go to Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so let's keep the flavivirus train rolling. Let's do it. Talk about dengue fever. Oh, boy. Um, so dengue virus has increased really really dramatically within the last 20 years, over a 400% increase. Um, so currently we're estimating that there are around 400 million infections a year. Wow. A hundred million of those are symptomatic. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah, only a hundred million. I mean, you, that's you still... Like, oh, wow. And then a hundred well, million, you're but, like, oh, okay. That's not I big. mean, 400 million is big. massive. A hundred million is still massive, but like three quarters of them not having symptoms <laughs> yeah. is almost well, shocking. It's, it's hard to tell because it's another one of those vastly underreported diseases. Sure. Um, again, lots of... Oh, these viral fever-causing illnesses all present kind of the same. So it's hard to know which one people have and record which one accurately. Yeah. Um, the greatest burden of diseases in Asia, about 70% of the cases... Um, but it's spreading wider than ever before. It's now spreading Europe. Um, like France and Croatia have had local transmission now. Afghanistan, which didn't used to before. Um, so more than 3.9 billion people in 129 countries are at risk of contracting dengue. Uh, and we have no treatments, right? Mm-hmm. Virus, no treatments. Supportive care is all we got. So dengue is transmitted 
transmitted by the Aedes mosquitoes, usually Aedes aegypti, which is your, you're just going to hear that over and over because that one mosquito, yeah, man, man, well, we even if there ever was a case time. for, right? If there was a case of a, just eradication, just that one species. Anyways, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rehash old, old, uh, content wounds there. Yeah. Um, so after feeding on a dengue affected person, the virus is going to replicate for about 8 to 12 days before it's going to be infectious and go to the salivary glands. Um, but dengue is a really a warm weather disease because during those 8 to 12 days, the, the temperature, ambient temperature, needs to be like 25 to 28 degrees Celsius the whole time. For this that to, is very to high. Okay. So that's why even if we have terrible, terrible winters here in Canada, I'm kind of okay. We don't have dengue. True. <laughs> yeah. So, and it rhymes, so it's accurate. That's how that's how it works. Because yeah. if you say it in a rhyme, then it's true every time. Exactly. Um, but once it's infected, the mosquito can transmit the virus for the rest of its life, is the thing. Its whole life? Well, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, how long do they live now? We talked about this last time. Do you listen to me when I talk? Uh, yeah. Do you but listen it's to still... the whole hour? I remember every single thing I ever Definitely said. I do not remember every single thing. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. It was like, you know, four weeks to six months, depending on the type of mosquitoes. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so after you, after you get bit, you're going to start getting the flu-like symptoms. Same fever, headache, muscle joint pain, nausea, vomiting, yada, yada, yada. Bateke is also known as breakbone fever due to the severity of the muscle spasms and joint pain you can get. Hmm. Um, if it progresses to a serious case, then you start getting respiratory distress. You start bleeding from everywhere and a rapid drop in blood pressure, and then you die. Or may die, I should say. So there's around 40,000 deaths every year from dengue. Um, and there are five different, what are called, serotypes of the dengue virus. Um, if you get infected with one of the five types, you're immune to that type. You get lifelong immunity. Okay. Is that, and that's true for any of the five types? If you or just get one of the specific like ones? Like type one, yeah. then you're, you have lifelong immunity to like type one. Yeah. But what happens is you get a little bit of immunity from getting the other types. But if you do get it then your chances of having a severe course of disease go up. Okay. Oddly. Yeah. So well, it's like you've gone over critical threshold or something, and that's um, going to crash your system. Well, okay. Yeah. So this kind of comes into the play with the vaccine here, because they started developing the dengue vaccine in 1920s. But for a very, 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 very long time, no one could figure out how to create immunity for all the different serotypes. In fact, the fifth serotype was just recently discovered. So, tough. So, since 2016, there has been a vaccine called Dengvaxia uh, for people who have had dengue at least once and live in places where it's common. Okay. But if you got the vaccine and hadn't had dengue before, then you're going to increase your chances of severe disease if you do somehow get infected. Sure. Just like if you had had one of the serotypes only. Okay. So they're like, obviously, this is not a good enough vaccine because we can't get it to people that haven't had it before. And can you, can they do like a blood test to determine if you've had a strain of dengue already? Um, I didn't look into, um, they can definitely determine if you have antibodies, but I don't know if you can sequence. I mean, the problem is you probably can. 
But, mm-hmm. like, the cost and yeah. feasibility of doing that before everyone gets vaccinated doesn't seem plausible. Realistic. Okay. Yeah. So, in 2022, another vaccine came out called Qdenga, which is now the one recommended if you haven't had dengue before. And there are also at least three other vaccines at advanced stages of development. So, we're okay. definitely getting there with the, the dengue vaccine. That's good. Um, another flavivirus is West Nile virus which I'm sure you have all heard of. Um, it was first isolated in a woman in the West Nile district of Uganda in 1937. There is how it got its name. Right. Um, and it was identified in birds in the Nile Delta region in 1953. Why am I talking about birds? Well, West Nile virus is one of the ones, there are others coming, that are maintained in nature in this cycle between animals and mosquitoes. Yeah. So birds are the main reservoir of West Nile. So in Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, birds get it, and they don't really get sick from it. But in the Americas, the birds that get the virus get really sick from it. Oh. Okay. So members of the Corvidae family, like crows and yeah. uh, magpies, all those, are particularly susceptible to West Nile virus. Um, birds can be infected, though, by other ways than mosquito bites. Like, they can go bird-to-bird transmission. Okay. Um, humans and horses both get disease symptoms from the virus, um, but symptoms rarely occur in any other animals. Um, but humans and horses, so like things that aren't birds are dead end hosts. We can become infected, but we can't give it to mosquitoes. We can't continue this cycle. Sure. Um, so symptomatic infection in horses can cause neurologic diseases, including fatal encephalomyelitis, um, so this is what we call an enzootic cycle when like there's an animal, it goes back and forth between animals and mosquitoes and then we can get it, yeah. but we can't give it back to the mosquitoes. So there's this loop that occurs between animals and mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes things really hard to control because we can't just like kill all those animals or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so because birds are the reservoir of West Nile, outbreak sites are usually along major bird migratory routes. Totally makes sense. In its original range, West Nile was found throughout Africa and in parts of Europe and the Middle East, West Asia, and in Australia. And then it was introduced into the USA in 1999, which is what I'm sure people are kind of remembering. Yeah. When that I was really big that. in the news and people were really scared of getting West Nile virus. Um, and now it's widely established all the way from Canada to Venezuela in the Americas. Um, so we're talking about mosquitoes of the Culex genus, especially Culex pipiens. Um, but we can rarely get it from like contact with an infected animal, like their blood and tissues. If you were going to go slaughter a bird that had West Nile. More likely you'd be okay. What? You, you would likely be okay. Well, yeah, but you can get it that way is what I'm saying. Oh, you can. At least you often don't. It's rare. Okay. No, yeah, you often don't, but... You know, Possible. it's not like one of those you can only get from a mosquito. Bite. I understand what you're saying. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, the good news is that about 80% of people who get it are asymptomatic. So again, we don't really know yeah. how many people are getting it. Um, but 20% um, will get West Nile fever, which, you know, includes a fever. Good. Headache, fatigue, body ache, nausea, vomiting, rash, all, all the things, same things. Yeah. Um, then you can also get West Nile encephalitis, West Nile meningitis, or West Nile poliomyelitis, where you're going to get, you know, things like neck stiffness and disorientation, coma, convulsions, tremors, paralysis, death, you know, 
fun things. It's estimated about 1 in 150 people that get infected with the virus will develop one of those more serious um, neurological diseases. Mm -hmm. And again, no treatments or anything. No Preventative vaccines, is the way to go. Just preventative, supportive care. There's a vaccine that's... for horses. Oh, good. I mean, that's just one there. step on the way, I guess. Um, yet another flavor virus is the Zika virus. So I know we've heard a lot about Zika very recently. Yeah. But it was first found in 1947. Okay. Um, by scientists that were conducting routine surveillance for yellow fever in the Zika forest of Uganda. So that's where it's I think I know how it's, it's named, named now. Yeah. yeah. They're all pretty much like that. Yeah. We very recently made rules that we should stop naming things after the place. Locations. That, yeah. yeah. Because it's just not nice to associate the people that live yeah. in these places with terrible diseases. No, not really. Um, but that was a very recent development. So in 1948, scientists found the Zika virus in an Aedes africanus mosquito that was trapped in the Zika forest. So then we we're like, okay, mosquito, mosquito transmitted virus. Yay. So, in 1952, the first human cases were detected in Uganda and the United Republic of Tanzania, which is what it was called then. Um, then it kind of spread slowly across Africa and Asia, but it was really, like, slow and manual. There was no outbreaks. There was only, like, a few cases here and there and only mild symptoms. And we're like, this isn't a big deal, okay? Then, the first large outbreak caused by Zika was in 2007, not until 2007, on the Pacific island of Yap. In the Federated States of Micronesia. Okay. In 2013-2014, there was outbreaks in four other Pacific Islands, in French Polynesia, Easter Island, the Cook Islands, and New Caledonia. So before this outbreak on Yap, there had only been 14 confirmed cases worldwide between, like, the 50s and 2007. So it was, oh, like, it was like, nothing, few. right? Yeah. And then these outbreaks on these islands happened, and we were up to several thousand of cases. Sure. So it was a big jump, is what I'm saying. And then many of you definitely remember what happened in Brazil in 2015, where Brazil notifies the WHO of this illness with a skin rash just occurring in their northeastern states. And between February and April of 2015, there was nearly 7,000 cases of illness reported. Um, but all the cases are mild. There's just rashes. They're like, okay, still no big deal, right? Sure. Um, no Zika tests are carried out. No one suspects what's causing it at this point. And it wasn't actually until February of 2016 that the WHO announces, okay, we've associated this with Zika and we've also associated these infections with microcephaly and other clusters of neurological disorders. So finally kind of found, kind of found what it does. We're like, oh, it's right. real bad for pregnant people, right? Yes. So the WHO declares a public health emergency for several months Um since 2017, 2017 cases have been steadily declining. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I just thought I'd throw this in there because it's another one of those Aedes aegypti primarily transmitted diseases. Uh, it's tropical and subtropical. Um, but as we've since learned, it can be transmitted through sexual contact, blood transfusions, organ transplants, all that good stuff. So we can spread this one. Yes, yeah. sexual contact was the big thing they started worrying about, people going on vacation and coming yeah. home and giving it to a pregnant partner. Because really, what from what we know right now, we don't know a lot about Zika still, but what we know is that it's really an issue for pregnant people and their fetuses. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Um, yeah. So majority of people don't get symptoms, and if you do, it's just kind of like slight flu symptoms. 
Um, so what happens though, if you're pregnant, um, is that it could end up causing microcephaly, other congenital malformations. Um, so limb contractures, high muscle tone, eye abnormalities, hearing loss, those are all collectively referred to as congenital Zika syndrome. Um, and then if you don't know what microcephaly is, it's, you know, small head and small head leads to smaller brains yeah. that probably didn't or may not have developed properly. Right. Um, so there can also be like stillbirths, miscarriages, preterm births. Um, so the estimate is five to 15% of infants born to women infected with Zika during their pregnancy have Zika related complications. Five to fifteen percent, so that's still pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Zika, we've already kind of figured out that it's one of the viruses that can also trigger Guillain-Barré syndrome. Um, it can also trigger neuropathy, myelitis. So Guillain-Barré is a rare thing that can happen when your body's immune system attacks your nerves, and you get weak, and you get tingly, and then you get paralyzed. Hmm. Not a fun combo. No. Um, yeah, so they are researching a Zika vaccine, but, uh, not really anything close at the moment. Um, so on to some of the less known ones here. I was going to say, yeah, each of the ones we've gone through so far I've been relatively aware of. Yeah, but there's lots still. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know. This is going to be a long one. So Japanese encephalitis virus is another flavivirus because... There's so many flaviviruses. Yeah. And also, again, name for a location. Um, shockingly. So the first case of Japanese encephalitis viral disease was documented in 1871 in Japan. Yes. I wrote right here. This is, of course, where we got the name. But it's mm-hmm. not confined to Japan or anything. No, of course not. <laughs> 24 countries in Southeast Asia and the Western Pacific have endemic transmission, which exposes more than 3 billion people to the risk of infection with this one. Um, so it's mostly transmitted through the Culex species, mainly Culex, oh god, I'm gonna say this, okay? Culex triteanorirhinicus. I'm gonna, that's terrible. I, Latin names are fun. Sure. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's the Culex gene. Okay, okay, got it. So, like with West Nile, humans aren't gonna develop sufficient viremia, it's called, to infect the mosquitoes ourselves. So the cycle here exists between mosquitoes and pigs or, and, or mosquitoes and water birds. Um, so another enzootic cycle here. Um, so, so mostly it's going to happen in rural areas where you're around pigs and water birds the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, Japanese encephalitis virus is actually the main cause of viral encephalitis in a lot of Asian countries. Um, causes 68,000 cases of encephalitis every year. So the Ooh. cases of infection are way more than that, right? Yeah, but of the, course. Where it progresses to encephalitis is 68,000 a year. Because um, it's like only 1%-ish of the patients that are infected with the virus will progress to encephalitis. So that's a lot of cases. That suggests Millions. like 6 million. Yeah. 6.8 well, million. Seven, yeah. yeah. Um, so in children, they're going to get, you know... Severe gastrointestinal pain and vomiting at first. Um, and then progress to like high fever, headache, neck stiffness, disorientation, coma, seizure, spastic paralysis, and death. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. When patients do develop encephalitis, the fatality rate is 20 to 30%. That's very high. 
if you improve, which you will in like six to 12 months, so that's a long recovery. Wow. Um, you still have a 30 to 50% chance of having significant and permanent like neurologic psychiatric injuries to your brain. That's scary. Encephalitis, okay. brain. Just we're on the same page. Encephalitis is like inflammation and swelling in your brain. Yeah. So that's bad. Very bad. Okay. Yeah. That's bad. Okay. Um, between 13,000 and 21,000 people die every year from Japanese encephalitis, primarily children. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, again, no treatment. There are effective and safe vaccines available, though, for Japanese encephalitis if you're in an area that's endemic, that's something you should do. Right. Yes. Um, so there's another one. St. Louis encephalitis virus. That's closely related to the Japanese encephalitis virus. I wonder where they discovered it. You'll be shocked when you find out. Ready? Okay. I was just I was just going to point out it's starting to make me really dislike flaviviruses. Okay. Which uh, probably isn't fair to flaviviruses since only about half, <laughs> only about half of the 92 known flaviviruses make us sick. But like, sure. Dang. Yeah, they're mean. Flaviviruses. Yeah. yeah. So, so the name of the virus. Were you ready for it? Goes back to 1933. When 1,000 cases of an unidentified illness were reported within five weeks in and around St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) We'll see if you can guess the rest of them (laughs) from here on out. So St. Louis encephalitis mainly affects the United States. Shockingly. Um, There's been occasional cases in like Canada, Mexico, and the Caribbean. Okay. It's another that's primarily transmitted by the Culex genus. Most commonly Culex pipiens. Again, you've said that one before. Yeah, you have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is another disease maintained through the enzootic cycle. Um, it is birds again. Birds, yeah. Birds. Um, does it make birds sick? No, no, no. Uh, the birds are usually pigeons, blue jays, robins, and house sparrows. So okay. more common in, in yeah. urban areas. Um Humans, again, and domestic animals are dead-end hosts. Can't give it back to the mosquitoes. Um, so the majority of these cases are asymptomatic or mild illness. Um, and then if it's severe, it's any other encephalitis. The headaches, the fevers, neck stiffness, disorientation, comas, tremors, deaths, you know, all those things. Um, so fatalities are kind of 5 to 30% range. Okay. Yeah. But I assume, again, it's another disease that's probably underreported. Yeah. But opposite of Japanese encephalitis, in this one, elderly people are the ones that are most often dying. Um, It's like about 40% of children and young adults will develop just like fever, headache, meningitis, but not severe. But almost 90% of elderly patients will develop the encephalitis. Wow. Wow. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. Okay. Okay. Ready? We're going to do one that's not a flavivirus. Oh. Chikungunya. Okay. Is another viral disease that is not caused by a flavivirus, though. It is an RNA virus. I'm pretty sure all the mosquito ones are RNA viruses. Um, it is an alpha virus in the alpha virus genus in the family Togaviridae. So the name chikungunya derives from a word in the Makonde language, which is also called the Kimakonde language, by the way. Sure. Um, of southern Tanzania. And it literally means to become contorted or to walk bent over because of the stoop appearance you get from the terrible, terrible joint pain. Yikes. Cool, cool. 
Um, so it was first recognized in 1952 during an outbreak in southern Tanzania. And it's transmitted to humans by Aedes mosquitoes. Um, and you know what? This virus, if you've ever heard of chick fee, that's the chikungunya virus. Chick fee. Okay. There you go. Um, again, Aedes aegypti. What a jerk. Yeah. And Aedes albopictus this time as well. So it's been identified in over 110 countries, every continent except Antarctica, but mostly in Africa and Asia. Uh, since 2004, outbreaks of chick fee have become more frequent and widespread, and it's um, probably, they think, because the virus has made some adaptations and changes, allowing itself to be spread more easily by Aedes albopictus, which, you know, expands its range if it has more hosts, right? Makes sense. So over 2 million cases have been reported since 2004, but even then it's thought to be underreported because dengue and Zika have similar symptoms and we don't know which one we're diagnosing, whatever, right? Um, so the most common symptoms, fever, joint pain, very severe joint pain. Uh, the good news here is symptoms usually last only a few days or weeks and it's rarely fatal. Oh, that's good. The bad news is that for some people, the terrible, terrible joint pain can persist <laughs> for months or even years. Yeah. 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 So, cool. Again, no antiviral treatment, nothing like that. Some vaccines are being developed, but there isn't one yet. Fair enough. Um, Ross River virus. Mm. Is another alpha virus. Is there a place called Ross River? There sure is. Excellent. Okay. So in 1928, an outbreak of acute febrile arthritis. So you know, febrile meaning fever. Yeah. Okay. Was recorded in Narendera and Hay in New South Wales, Australia. In 1943, several outbreaks of arthralgia and arthritis were described in the Northern Territory, Queensland, and the Shooton Islands, which is the northern coast of Papua New Guinea. We're good there. There's Ross River eventually. It occurs. In 1956, so. an epidemic occurred in the Murray Valley, which was compared to the, quote, acute viral polyarthritis caused by chick fee. But they were like, this one seems milder. So they thought it's the same thing, but no, it was not. And they realized it was a new species of alpha virus that they haven't named yet. So in 1959, uh, they identified it in a sample of a mosquito uh, Aedes vigilax that was trapped in the ra- in the Ross River. There we go. That's where it comes from. They found them it in a mosquito there. Right. Okay. Which uh, Ross River is in Townsville, Queensland. In Australia. Australia. Yeah. yeah. So what they've shown that patients who had suffered this quote epidemic polyarthritis in Queensland had antibodies to the virus. So they're like, yes, epidemic polyarthritis should be renamed. <laughs> um, they called it Ross River Fever. They called the virus Ross River Virus. If you're interested, polyarthritis means any arthritis that involves five or more joints simultaneously. I was going to say, it would have to do with multiple. So Yeah, I looked it up. Yeah. I was like, multiple arthritises? Yeah. What does that mean? Okay. Okay. Um, so Ross River Virus is not lethal. But it is extremely painful and debilitating. It's endemic to Australia, Papua New Guinea, and other like South Pacific islands. Um, but in 2010, it was discovered in regions of India, so it might be might be spreading might a be bit. Spreading, yeah, yeah. So this is something that surprised me. It is the most common uh, and most widespread arbovirus in Australia. 
5,000 okay. cases reported every year. Australia doesn't have a lot of arbovirus, I guess. <laughs> I guess not. They make up for it in venomous animals, though. Yeah, well. Um, so there's different mosquitoes in different parts of Australia. So the Aedes group, Aedes camptorhynchus and Aedes vigilax in like kind of the northern and southern regions, but inland it's Culex mosquitoes like Culex annularostris. Um, again, it's enzo, enzootic. Um, so in, birds. It's not. It's large oh. marsupial mammals. Kangaroos? Yeah, and like wallabies and stuff. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's right? different. I mean, it has been found in some bird species and some other types of mammals, but like they think that the largest reservoirs are in these marsupials. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, symptoms are flu-like, but the major symptom is really serious joint pain. Uh, it usually resolves in a few weeks, but it can last up to six months, this really severe joint pain. So that sucks. Sounds like it sucks. It does sound like it sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So there's also a few types of equine encephalitis that humans can get caused by members of this alpha virus genus. So horse related? Yes. Okay. Yes. So the more common one is Eastern equine encephalitis virus. Um, it's in like the Americas, North, Central, South America, the Caribbean. Um, it was first recognized in Massachusetts in 1831 when 75 horses died mysteriously, but it could also happen in donkeys and zebras. Hmm. And in 1938, we had the first confirmed human cases when 30 kids died of encephalitis in the Northeastern United States. Um, and there was also an outbreak in horses in that same time and place. And so they connected those two things. They did, yes. Okay. Um, but despite the name, it, equine encephalitis um, virus can infect a wide range of animals, like mammals and birds and reptiles and amphibians, yada, yada, yada. It's another enzootic one. Um, birds. This birds. time it's birds. Yeah. Yeah, the birds. Anyways, lots of mosquitoes can transmit it. I don't want to name them all. Aedes coccolatidia. New genus there. Not and the pippins. Ochlorotatus. <laughs> no, that's a different. That was Culex. Mm. Pippins. Sorry. Anyways. Okay. Coculatidia is funnier, more fun to say. It It is. Okay. Yeah. So symptoms include high fever, muscle pain, altered mental status, headache, meningeal irritation, photophobia, and seizures. Photophobia. Like yeah. fear of, or like well, sensitivity light. to light. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> Not fear. No, but I, I, I mean, understand. that's what a phobia is. is. I know, just... but like we use it for lots of things. Yeah. Like hydrophobia doesn't mean you're... Anyways. Um, just like the other types of encephalitis... Patients that survive can be left with, like, severe and permanent mental impairment, right? Um, brain damage. The fatality yeah. rate in humans is 33% when you show symptoms. Right. Yeah. That seems pretty high, yeah. So, here's a fun fact. Question mark. Uh, possibly fun, but okay. definitely interesting. Maybe fun fact, soon to be proven. Eastern equine encephalitis virus was one of more than a dozen different agents the United States researched as potential biological weapons before they suspended the Biological Weapons Program in 1969. Oof. So the other types of equine encephalitis viruses are the Western equine encephalitis virus, okay, which was also investigated as a biological weapon in this program. Oh, good for them. And the Venezuelan equine encephalitis virus, which was investigated for weaponization by both the U.S. and the Soviets during the Cold War. 
How nice. So equine encephalitis is just apparently a potentially good weapon. I don't know. It sounds torturous. Well, I mean, I guess that's, that's why, right? Biological yeah. warfare sounds awful, and that's hopefully why we banned it. Mm-hmm. Much kinder to just shoot everyone and starve them. Uh, yeah, Anyways. It so, is. <laughs> so, so now we're going to some more encephalitis. Mosquitoes just like to give you encephalitis. They sure do. Encephalitis? Encephalitis? Well, definitely wouldn't do that. No, fine. Just shoot down my potential <laughs> naming conventions. Jamestown Canyon encephalitis virus is is not an alpha virus or a flavivirus. It is a, a more fun one to say. It is in the genus the genus Orthobunyavirus. Orthobunyavirus. I like it. Okay. It was first isolated in 1961 from mosquitoes in the Culisetta genus in Jamestown Canyon. Yeah. Colorado. Okay. That's in Colorado. I didn't know where Jamestown Canyon was. But... Neither did I until I looked it up on Google. So, it's mainly spread during the summer in the United States and Canada by mosquitoes in the 80s, Coculatidia, Culex, Culisetta, and Ocleurotatus generis. Wow, so so many of them are So just... many. Yeah. That's the issue. Um, so the virus, again, is going to cycle between mosquitoes and amplifier hosts, mainly white-tailed deer. In a study from Newfoundland, it was associated with, like, Birds. large mammals. Like, no, large mammals. Sheep, mm. cattle, and horses. In Michigan and Ontario, studies say moose and bison are the primary reservoirs. So really just large mammals in this case, because those are large. definitely large. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's rare, though. Okay. This is a very rare one. Uh, CDC noted an increase lately. And reported cases between 2012 and 2021, the CDC received 267 reports of infections. Okay. Um, most often in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So watch out. Watch out over there. Uh, in 2021, there were 32 cases reported. So yeah, not it, it is rare. Um, but we don't really know how common it is because it's usually asymptomatic. And you get, you know, flu-like symptoms, fever, headache, nausea, vomiting, sore throat, runny nose, that kind yeah, of thing. You've heard that today um, a few times. Exactly. Um, in two-thirds of cases, though, you're going to get this neuro-involvement, meningitis, stiff neck, severe headache, meningoencephalitis. Half of reported cases do have to be hospitalized, but deaths are really rare. Okay. So it's going to give you unpleasant symptoms. Yeah. Still not fun to have. Yeah. Um, Lacrosse encephalitis virus is another species of orthobunia virus. Did they discover that in the game? (laughs) Uh, Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Hmm. It was discovered in 1965 uh, when they isolated it from brain and spinal tissue of a kid who died of an unknown infection in Lacrosse, Wisconsin in 1960. So it occurs mainly in the Appalachian and Midwestern regions of the United States, and it's spread by the 80s Triceriatus mosquito, mostly. Um, so it's another enzootic one, and it kind of cycles between chipmunks and squirrels. Some not large mammals in this case. Not large mammals. It's really rare. There's like 100 cases a year, maybe. Again, it's probably underreported, but yeah. Um, recently, enough. there's been an increase of cases in the southeastern United States, and they think the explanation is that it's adapted to be spread by the 80s Albopictus mosquito, just like that other one we said, which I already forget which one it was because I'm just listing there's encephalitis a n- after number of them, yeah. Um, but basically, 80s Albopictus is kind of like um, 
taking, like, spreading, entering the U.S. and spreading all over across the Southeast and stuff and replacing Aedes aegypti in most areas. And, oh. and, and aegypti, this is one of the things, it doesn't carry lacrosse encephalitis. Okay. So now that this it's other like that mosquito just can't compete over, or something. Right, it's being outcompeted in those areas, yeah. and this mosquito is carrying this virus. Okay. But you know, Aedes aegypti carries some other things. I that was going to say so that, like, is that a is that is a that case a win? of is that a loss? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Six of one, half a dozen of another, sort of thing. Right. I mean, again, it's a brain thing. Yeah. It doesn't have that many deaths, but you get a lot of the neurological damage, even if you recover. Kind yeah. of thing. It's not cool. Um, a third type of orthobunyavirus mosquitoes give us is called Cache Valley virus. From? Utah's Cache Valley. Okay. <laughs> it was first isolated in 1956 from Kuliseta inornata mosquitoes collected in Cache Valley. Um, and this one's mostly an animal disease. It's been known to cause outbreaks of spontaneous abortion, miscarriage, mm-hmm. uh, and congenital malformation in like sheep and cattle, other ruminants like that. Yeah. Um, so it's transmitted by the Aedes, Anopheles, Cochilotidia, and Colisetta mosquitoes. So lots of them, again. Um, and we think it's underreported. And when humans do get it, it can be pretty bad. Um, but we don't get it often. One of, one of those. So uh, there's been less than 10 cases reported in humans ever. Oh, wow. That's but very like few. a third of them died. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And they're thinking that there's there's been cases of unexplained severe multi-organ failure, congenital anomalies, and viral encephalitis that maybe that was caused by Cache Valley virus. So we're going to have to start investigating this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, assume, I'm assuming the attribution of a number of these viruses to like which ones of these is right? kind of vague yeah. or tough. Yeah. So lastly... Lastly, the last virus that we know of so far, mosquitoes transmit to humans is Rift Valley fever virus. From? Well, yeah, it's Rift Valley, but like, let me get there. Um, So this is not a flavivirus, and it's not an alphavirus, and it's not an orthobunyavirus. Interesting. But it's not far off, because this is genus, genus, I keep saying genus, Hmm. genus Flebovirus, which is in the order... Sounds similar to Flavovirus. No, it's in the order Bunyavirales. So, okay. same order as the Orthobunyaviruses. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's another one that primarily affects animals, but can also affect humans. Um, it infects lots and lots of uh, different animals, but it causes really severe diseases in our domesticated animals. You know, cattle, sheep, camels, yeah. goats. Things we like to maintain and eat. Yeah, so sheep and goats appear to be more susceptible than the cattle or camel type of animals. Um, but it really, it costs people a lot of money. Sure. In, in livestock losses. Um, the majority of the human infections actually come from contact with blood and organs of infected animals. Secondarily is the mosquito thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're just helping a little bit. Yeah, the 80s and Kulex mosquitoes are just helping a little bit. Okay. So the virus was first identified in 1931 during um, an investigation into like a sheep epidemic on a farm in the Rift Valley in Kenya. Okay. Um, Since then, there's been outbreaks reported in Sub-Saharan Africa. In 1977, there was a huge outbreak in Egypt. And I think the virus was introduced to Egypt from infected livestock trade along the Nile. Sure. 
And um, in 97, 98, there was another huge outbreak in Kenya, Somalia, and Tanzania, Tanzania following the El Nino flooding and stuff. So that was probably mosquitoes. Makes sense, um, yeah. So then there was some more infected livestock trade that happened in Africa, and Rift Valley fever spreads along the horn to Saudi, the horn of Africa, to be clear, yeah. um, to Saudi Arabia, Arabia and Yemen, which is the first time the disease happened outside of Africa. So now we're kind of concerned it can start to spread, you know, Asia, Europe, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a ways to go. Um, but people that are infected, either it's asymptomatic or it's usually, you know, just a mild form. Again, flu-like symptoms. Some people develop the sensitivity to light, the neck stiffness, that kind of thing. Um, but then a small percentage of people develop much more serious disease. Uh, there's kind of like three types. There's like an ocular disease, uh, meningoencephalitis, or a hemorrhagic fever. Um, and the ocular disease, you know... Doesn't really cause death, but you lose your vision. Yeah, I was a, lo- say. a lot of time, not like all the time, a lot of times. Yeah. Um, for meningoencephalitis form, again, you don't really die, but you get that brain damage. Also fantastic. Which is common. Yeah. But the men, um, the uh, hemorrhagic fever thing is different. Um, patients will develop severe liver impairment. They'll start, you know, vomiting blood, bleeding rash, bleeding from orifices, working their way to death. The hemorrhagic form has a fatality rate of about 50%. Yeah. And death is going to occur about three to six days from the start of your symptoms. So it's, it's pretty a quick. bad and quick yeah. death. Yikes. Yeah. Um, like others, we talked about the incidence rate of Rift Valley fever is kind of difficult because in those areas where Rift Valley occurs, you got malaria, you've got shigellosis, typhoid fever, yellow fever, the like hemorrhagic viral fevers are just... Crazy all out of control there, right? Yeah. Um, so in late 1997, an outbreak of Rift Valley fever in East Africa caused 90,000 people to become sick in three months. We had about 500 deaths and like tons of the animals in that area died. So people that were already struggling there, you know, yeah. lost their milk and meat, their trading like, commodities, their relatives, their terrible, ability to yeah. work. Um, so it was devastating, which prompted um, a lot of groups to get together and create uh, a vaccine for animals. Sure. Yeah, okay. To stop that kind of chain of transmission cycle. It's really hard to control Rift Valley fever because mosquito eggs can survive for years in the soil. Uh, And just Um, lay dormant until what? Until like the next flood or something like that. So. Okay. Yeah. So there's no vaccine commercially available for humans. Yeah. But there isn't an inactivated vaccine that has been developed, and it's kind of been used experimentally for people that are at a high risk of exposure, yeah. like veterinary um, personnel, laboratory personnel that are at a high risk of getting it. They have tried this vaccine on them, so there's probably a vaccine, you know, coming. Under Appears to be working sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I have for viruses. I find it fascinating that the, the high degree of relatedness most of these viruses had like there's not a lot of different gene genera genus I don't say genuses but it's genera involved in making us sick from mosquitoes really yeah there's just a lot of variations of the same one over and over swelling your brain and giving you fevers and making you hemorrhage to death yeah yeah all very similar and horrible huh no it's the theme there for sure mm. and that the birds and the mosquitoes like to plot against us Birds are really an issue. Yeah. 
They don't even get sick. No. Most of the time. Oh, well. But next time, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about, I want to say my favorite thing, because that sounds really weird, but parasites yeah. are a particular interest of mine because they are uh, wily. They are. In their ways that they evade our body's immune systems and such things. Um, so we're going to talk about them next time, the different parasitic infections that mosquitoes give to us. Including malaria, which is bad. Yeah. So if you haven't gotten your fill of viruses, come back for some parasites. Well, you would need to have gotten your fill of viruses because we're not going to talk about them next time. Right. Now that you've gotten your fill of viruses, come back for parasites. Correct. And also, we have an email address. We do. By the way, if you want to ask questions or correct me or suggest topics or say hello. That's all viable. Those are all nice things. Yeah. So our email address is teach me something for that is the number, not the word for yep. at gmail.com. Uh so once again I'd like to say thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Teach Me Something. I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I hope you've learned something new. Mm-hmm.